0: Are you working? What kind of work do you? What oh. right, what right, right. what is it you want to do when you grow up? Yo, he's back. What's what's up? How you doing? 4 or doing? 5 weeks? <laughs> yeah, we, 4 or 5 weeks ago. i you know,
1: just it's a it's like a like a moon cycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. i think
0: we make this a reoccurring thing though like you know how my first million has and- what well, i don't think you really listen to my yeah, first million. absolutely not. i don't fuck with that at all okay, <laughs> okay. so <laughs> they they always have andrew wilkinson on the pod like that's their reoccurring yeah. guest i feel like we should just have you every month you come in every we'll time a something. new phase of the moon enters yes. we
1: hit it I'm, I'm ready for it
0: so with this episode the one thing that we want to talk about last last uh episode we talked about building a brand from scratch from ideation to the actual product, how we how we're gonna get product market fit, how we're gonna go viral. We're sampling right now. In case you wanted an update, like we're working through. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost here. Materials like, really are almost have their yeah, first Chinese sample. Chinese New Year threw a couple
1: of wrenches in here, but we're <laughs> yeah. gonna survive. It's later this year. Uh.
0: <laughs> Today, I really want to talk about one creating a luxury brand, how to turn ordinary products into a luxury brand, and then like what is that luxury brand checklist? Yeah. Um, something that sparked this for me was. I'm sure you guys all saw the old Athletic Greens. This I feel oh, like yeah. it circulated yeah. the, the full internet. Funnel, yeah, the yeah. It was page. like Richard Branson, hey, like full funnel.
2: People are saying that that was out converting the current page. Oh, and yeah, I'm I, sure I bet yeah. it was. Did you I mean, run it was the like full Clickfunnels, yeah, yeah, pure
0: yeah. direct response,
2: 100. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: but if you look at if you look at them, whatever it was, 10, 12 years ago, yeah. comparison to now, it's almost like a luxury flip, like yeah. in in ways, like from the branding perspective. But starting it off, what are some ordinary products that you've seen make their way into luxury products? Oh, they actually have that change.
1: That's a, that's a really interesting question. Cause like, well, what's interesting about luxury as a concept is like, I usually look at like there's a high end product where you just have like a quality product then you have a designer product, which is something that's like you pay for the excess in like materials and look, and then you have a luxury product. And the difference between the designer product and a luxury product is essentially time because luxury means you have to have that consistency of quality, like over X amount of time. And so you would think like when, when Aesop started out, like was it a luxury brand? Like not really, it was just a high-end brand. Or yeah, and then over time, it like basically graduates into luxury. But thinking about that glow up of of AG One is, I can't think off the top of my head of another brand that went from like being average to being amazing.
0: What is that graduation period? Like, is it a ten year thing? Is it a hundred year yeah, thing? I, I right? Like, like, I think it's like a decade plus. Yeah. You know, and you look at it because you're comparing
1: yourself to, especially now. And we'll talk about the value of uh, of brand names. I'm sure at some point as we go into like while all these brands keep coming back why Toys R Us will never die, like that kind of thing. And a lot of it's just because gaining that recognition that's already built into the populace, especially Gen X and, and Boomer folks who are just like, I don't even want to learn about anything new. Yeah. is just always going to have this huge value. And so you're competing with existing luxury. So your timeline to achieve a luxury status has to be like comparative to existing luxury. And so only a few people have really skipped that. Like people look at like Aesop or, Air, or even Air One is like, oh, they're newer. they're not. They've been around for a minute. I think the only brand I've I can think of that has really hit luxury super fast is uh, Flamingo Estate.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're big big fans of Flamingo (laughs) Estate here. Yeah, Yeah, almost got me. (laughs) No, Richard Christensen, that guy is insane. I mean, they sell honey for $60.
1: Well, I think what's interesting (laughs) about them is you talk about, okay, how do you start a luxury brand? Or how do you take a brand upscale? Like, Flamingo Estate could not exist in its current iteration without the location. So they basically, and for those who are unfamiliar with the brand, it has like a combination of like skincare and CPG and some, some like light home goods through collaboration. But it really started as a vegetable, a localized vegetable company in LA where you could pick up organic vegetables from all this produce, started in the pandemic. But the founder, Richard, who you mentioned, has this like amazing estate that's like a former like X-rated studio, but it's just like the most incredible physical space and yeah. a true estate. And just by virtue of it existing and being at the center of content and how amazing it looks and feels, it has this prestige that comes with the brand. And I think that's a playbook. Like if we talk about playbooks to hack luxury, like one is how can you get some existing look and feel that has that level of prestige and incorporate it into your brand, name your brand after it Exist in his content in that space, that's a big hack.
2: Yeah, mm. he almost creates like his own, his own world, right? That you are a participant in when you buy those products, you're an extension of that estate in LA. And I think that's a really is cool the retail feeling. store at the
0: mansion. I don't think there's a retail store yeah. specifically.
1: So basically, so there's like a delivery service for vegetables, and then there is a CPG like area. And then they did this pop up in the Hamptons this summer that was like looked super nice. Things yeah. like Porsche Club, and yeah. they were
2: also in uh, neighborhood goods on South yeah. Congress. And, oh, yeah, like I think they, they get are distributed like through randomly. retail.
1: Yeah, uh, Porsche is another interesting one because I think talking into like how you hack luxury. Like first way. Establishing some existing prestige, like the location we talked about. The second way is people like license and attribute luxury. And Porsche is a good one because um, uh, i have done this video about Backdrop, who's a paint company who licensed yeah. Porsche colors, mm-hmm. which immediately, like, they were already like a higher end paint, but then being a Porsche collaborator establishes them in that space. And so you can essentially kind of, it's so, sort of buying your way into it, but like, it's certain brands will only do that with other certain brands. So you have to have a certain clout and execution. And so that's the, another way of doing it. And then the third way, which is really interesting, is like the parasite way where you can like, grab a, something and then, you know, assign it to your brand and roll with it. But we'll talk about that later. I want to talk about the Porsche house paint collabs. I'm curious, like, is that something that resonates with y'all like, as consumers? Would you buy Porsche paint? I yeah, 100%. I'm,
0: yeah. I'm becoming a, a car guy. Just because lately I've been well, con- you had a kid and then got a minivan. Ready, ready to go. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't, don't. I don't know why. Over the last six months, I've become a Porsche guy. I used to actually hate them. I didn't yeah. like them. I, saw I don't know Mary, if I just it off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I've been consuming the ads and then I've just like been watching more content where they they talk about Porsche and how much detail goes into it yeah that i become a fan of it and then i'm at, how do you pronounce it i'm in leon Dior. Uh,
2: i'm in leon D'Or, yeah
0: like them and having yeah Them. <laughs> i remember i, I looked at,
2: i looked directly at him <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like that's gotta I, be right, yeah.
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> we've been rebranding not rebranding recreating the marketing examine site and i've been modeling the colors off of old porsches yeah yeah. because yeah. i want to have that like high-end luxury feel on the site, and like kind of give off that that feel of there's a, a like a Jet blue Porsche yeah. that they have in in the store. So I and I, I haven't
2: it. I haven't seen like I could use some context on the Porsche paint, honestly. Like, are they retailing it? Like Yeah, or? so they're
1: selling it. I believe it's online as a collab. I think they're a pure D2C paint company. Okay. And and they had kind of been marketing like millennial aesthetic position D2C, like for like a certain paint, be able to say like if you're painting your house and you want to have that. That right feel to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And but this was interesting because those colors are actually like particularly strong and rare. And Porsche has such a strong community. And it was funny. I made that video. I don't even really know why I made that video. I just thought the ad campaign was interesting. I made the video about like, hey, this is, you know, how they positioned it, whatever. And it, it was a very quick, like, million view video. Um, and I think a lot of it was just the fanatical obsession with Porsche by the yeah. community that has it, which makes sense. I think we all know a couple of people sure. that own a Porsche like own like a beater Porsche, but they're super fucking stoked about yeah. it. Or when they really got money, like they saved and they really like, hit the port. And I think that just resonates on a note that when any anyone associates with that, they're like, whether or not they buy it for their home, they'll send it to their friends. Like, yo, we could do this. You know, and that's interesting.
2: Yeah. Did
0: you see that Heinz ketchup made a pain as well? Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's just marketing. I feel like. I know, but it <laughs> yeah. was just like, Dude, I, 100 made a yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was just thinking about it. I'm like, <laughs> but so on your end, for a backdrop, are you thinking of it in the sense of, the way for them to hack their way into a high-end product is they do this collab with Porsche and now they're going to be labeled as high-end because they're buying it. Well, into- I think it helps
1: them graduate into that, like that luxury stage in the timing, right? That company is definitely, I don't know, probably five, at least five, maybe 10 years old. Yeah. And they've established themselves in high quality and you go, okay, well, how do we really become a staple or how do we enter into like, again, mm. new consumers or, or be more established as we want to be the luxury paint choice, looked at, a, at as above going to whatever your local shop is to get it or the, the brand names we know. And that collaboration is like a very natural, like, all right, like all no other brand is doing something like this. We're now associated with this prestige. And if we can take, carry on that moment for long and then maybe do it again or again, then you become that like long-term association with luxury in a way that, you know, like no other company in your space is. And if a bunch of other companies are doing it, it's competitive. If you're the only one doing that really in in paint in a specific space, like you can really start to own that association. And I think it's all about that timing. Like they look at their 20 year roadmap. Can they maintain their price point? and a lot of it comes down to people at some point in time when you have a high quality good, do you discount it and lower your margin to be like, hey, we need to just have a higher quality at a great price, or you say, we're going to keep our price, but we then have to up the marketing.
2: That's such an example of, you know, the paint company was obviously much smaller than Porsche. Yeah. So that was a good opportunity for them to really leapfrog some stages. But typically, I feel like you see this with two massive brands trying to combine their audiences. The yeah. example that uh, came the the to mind for me was yeah. like the Nike Tiffany shoe the dunk you know and people were like i don't know if this is an abomination or the coolest thing i've ever seen which seems to be probably a pretty good marketing play
0: yeah well, like kith and wilson yeah yeah
2: kith Kith has been doing this like crazy with i mean they partner with everybody but that's because all these old stale brands are trying to ride kith's wave rather than this new paint brand was riding porsche's old school wave yeah
1: positioning is genius because they're basically a way for they sell nostalgia to their kind of like Let's say like aging millennial Gen X with money audience yeah, in a, a, a audience who would have bought Ralph Lauren 20 years ago yeah. and now buys Kith, but also has this like Americana nostalgia, serial big kid aesthetic. Right. And, but then all of these brands who are like flailing a bit, don't understand the new market. They, have, oh my God, there's a cool brand that actually can bring some value to what we yeah. do as Coca-Cola or, you know, Cocoa Puffs or so whatever they just did
2: one with Disney. They, yeah. Their most recent collab was like all of the Mickey Mouse characters were on these like just fire bombers. Like all these really cool, like it's yeah. just crazy. It's dude. funny, like it doesn't appeal. Like I feel
1: like I'm just like one layer too young to be like. I just feel like that shit is is I wouldn't wear it, you yeah. know. But then I totally understand the customer that does, and so really, they've, and they've done a great job at being that vehicle where yeah. like they have to keep that going because it's then For introducing sure. it to those audiences. But like Nike Tiffany's interesting because a <clears> lot of that is luxury. If Tiffany went, and said we're going to sell a sneaker that's a fourth of the cost of anything we've ever sold then like that it degrades the brand for them. But doing it as a collaboration with Nike, where it's more expensive than average Nike, but way lower than Tiffany's, gives people the ability to buy into the brand at a price point.
2: Right. And then immediately, the only people you see the shoes on are LeBron and Devin Booker and or all these Mello guys and that all can them. only get yeah. the shoe, right? Yeah. They get it early. And so obviously it's, goes to the resellers and the price spikes and there's like scarcity and stuff it like plays that plays into the
0: exclusivity exactly right that all luxury and that's brands all, have
1: exactly and that and play and there's also there's exclusivity and then there's like the drop level like lack of availability which is like more of a yeah. streetwear thing and like but yeah. now luxuries has, has played in it but with the i want to kind of draw the line between licensing and collaboration right where i yeah. think like the kith and disney i think at some point maybe some of the kith stuff was licensing to start but i think now it's like full collaborations and certainly nike tiffany agree i'm sure that the backdrop thing is a license where they're being like, hey, they're either paying a royalty on the actual product or a a flat fee in a royalty versus a collab. And like, those are all tools you have in a brand toolkit, like to make something happen, to say, I can't make my thing move, but if I put this logo or this iconography or whatever, I can then make it move faster.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think you've been seeing that a lot in the D2C industry this year too. A lot of brands, I mean, they're looking to, you know, big time IP to actually move more product for them. Yeah, and we actually,
1: one I was working, the, uh, in my work with job Blaster, like one we've worked on as a company there was was we did a deal with Halo this year. yeah, and, uh, and that's specifically to say, hey, we are like, which some of it is to build affinity with a certain video game customer. Some of it is pointing towards where that company is going, but it's like, how do you, and also then at retail, you're sitting against a you know, bunch of cheaper priced knockoff products. Like, okay, like can that association like help remind you people like, my top. God, that's stamped by this right. or that. And yeah. it's, it's a really interesting way to look at, it. but it was a pure licensing. And it's, then it's licensing like, okay, is your, uh, we also have a deal with uh, Capcom uh-huh. And it's like, sometimes you get like licensing and you just be, get to use the logo. Sometimes you get licensing and like, um, and you get a ton of actual like end marketing support and things like that too. I right. thought was interesting. Like, cause right. I began to talk to me with the Capcom team. I was like, their support for a licensed product is amazing. I was like, oh, as a marketer, I'd love to be able to have access to this. And that's an interesting scenario.
2: So when uh, we, we, we did a thread that went viral on the Barbie licensing stuff. This yeah, I summer. think he had a video. Yeah, right? a video. On on it about Barbie. Oh, nice. All right, yeah. let's go, yeah. boys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chasing down the zeitgeist. Yeah. Viral hits. Oh, <laughs> But so I'm curious, like when when you were working with Halo and Capcom, like did they, and you don't have to disclose any yeah. details, but like, do they have like minimums that y'all needed to hit? Yeah. And- so they, well, there's a bunch of like, and also there's graduated, we had done another licensing
1: deal, um, separate, uh, another time where you have to like, okay, you can sell this D2C. If you get this D2C, then you get it retail. And if you, yeah. and then it's like, or these amount of units or whatever that looks like. Um, but actually, when there's a licensing expo in Las Vegas, was so there a, I think it was like maybe three, four months ago. I bet that's, that's a really great. good, and this was right when Barbie was coming out. So they had the Love Shack, Fancy Barbie truck there, or they had some Barbie vehicle, um, and then and then Pudgy Penguins was there. You know, like it was like <laughs> there was a whole. Uh, it was interesting to see that ecosystem, but right. it is brands going there to shop for okay, like what can I do to, to bring that value to to my brand? Um, and the Barbie one was interesting because what Barbie did to promote that movie was basically make licensing really easy. They exactly, said, yeah. no yeah. fees low right. low percentages roll with it. And one of the things I thought was funny, is I think it was Wrangler, had one like just came out. Like their supply chain got messed up or something. And it's no like four way. months after the movie and you're like, and it's funny like trying trying to get on or like miss the window. But uh, it's a, and I'm really curious like what those Barbie additions, I'm sure for some stuff it killed it, but like the ruggable Barbie rugs, like did that crush? Yeah. You know,
2: like, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think it almost did better for the movie. Right. Oh, because yeah. they, they were able the to movie. be they were able to be everywhere. It was that feeling of oh my gosh, this is a cultural moment. Every brand I've ever ever interacted with yeah. now has Barbies. Barbie was omnipresent because of that. Exactly. They literally the were Power everywhere. IP. Anywhere
0: that you opened up on Instagram, it was there. TikTok, there were videos getting made about it to then the Airbnb, whatever the case may be, it felt like Barbie was somewhere that I was consuming content,
2: right?
1: And so I want—I think it's interesting. This is a good pivot to like that's authorized licensing. Then yeah. there's unauthorized <laughs> licensing, um, where I think there's more and more brands who are kind of hacking their route to that now. Um, and I had uh, uh, last year, I had been doing some work with the Shoe Surgeon, which is an interesting case of this, where they make extremely high-end versions of popular shoe silhouettes, like One of One Customs. You know, $7,500, $10,000, they'll celebrate LeBron James scoring title, he'll get a custom surgeon shoe, like that that kind of thing. uh, Odell Beckham Jr. wants specific shoes at his, uh, like at a game, he'll get a custom from them. Right. But, and that's an interesting where like, the ability to say, I can create a one-of-one on this thing and then use it as a way to like bring a huge level of interest to your brand. But it's not something necessarily fully authorized by the brand, it was an interesting like space to be around and be in. And a brand that we had talked about before the pod and I wanted to bring up was, was Alabaster Industries. It was a watch brand. right? And so they, uh, they're another one of like fast, a fast motion to a high price point. Yeah. And they started off by making Rolexes they covered in this like absolutely insane look they have. It's like very, it's like Oakley on psychedelics. Like yeah. you know, it's just an insane look and feel. And Got they would it. go and take it to a Rolex. But because there was a core Rolex in it, because there's like a Day-Date or whatever, sitting inside of it or uh, in like they were able to command a huge price point. So from the start, since you're buying a modified Rolex, of course this is going to be you know, $15,000, $20,000, $10,000. And then over time, like, it's not a long-term strategy. Someone at Rolex is going to get mad. Maybe they don't get mad if you're buying them all secondhand, whatever it looks like. But like, you can't market it's a Rolex yeah. for long. But they cut pretty quick to, oh, now here's our watches that look extremely similar. And they're $6,000, $4,000, $9,000. And we were able to kind of jump that ship just because of how they associated with it, the fan base they got, the rarity that came from it, and then just like having their brand look and feel. I thought that was a very interesting play.
0: So they, they use the unauthorized license almost and those products to bridge to then their product. To jump to luxury, exactly. Like, and to
1: jump to the price point. Because like, how right. else can you go? You right. can't, starting can a brand now yeah, and saying yeah. like,
0: brick watches is, is a good example.
1: Like, old boy from Barstool was like, I'm gonna start a watch brand. I'm gonna charge luxury prices for it. And it's, yeah. and it's not gonna Terrible. look any good. It's gonna be trash and no yeah. one bought into it. But then like, these guys had at least had an interesting look and feel but then you multiply that with, okay, now here's what we're able to do by ass- assigning it with like an already expensive product. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting.
2: It's like the ultimate parasite move, like you mentioned earlier, yeah. right? Like they just hijacked Rolex's, you know, like massive, massive amount of brand equity that they've built over the years. Whereas Barstool, he tried to just create that out of thin air, no one's gonna no one, buy one's into gonna that, buy it, right? Even no matter what
1: your your cloud is like,
2: and there's interesting because like parasite, I
1: look at there's parasite products, which I do that, or like a parasite brand strategy. And then the parasite marketing is interesting too. Cause it, which is at its core is like, okay, we're doing a photo shoot for a clothing brand and it's a dress, but we're gonna wear Gucci tights and right. uh, you know, and it's gonna have <laughs> and we're gonna have like you know, X, these heels on it, whatever it is. Like that's a tactic that way like brands do, but like should be doing way more whenever they can kind of pull it off. Like even yeah. the association of as we walk into the studio and you see X furniture or Y furniture and like people do it really well now with lookbooks but like you could do that in like every aspect of of your business. Like I even think about it, I think a lot about wardrobe as a creator now and there's a certain amount of like is someone going to comment on that or are people going to recognize that item as like a specific thing? Like I had posted a pic uh, of some John Geiger stuff I'd gotten and like people were like commenting on the fact like I had like a Cartier Santos on in it and like it's just there's all those little things like help to build the perception and it goes beyond just like a whole brand strategy down all the way to even like how you're creating content.
2: Right. Speaking of something you posted the other day that I think does kind of have an element in this, and I don't know if it was directly from Birkenstocks, but yeah. it's like those Birkenstocks that have the skeleton yeah. toes. Oh, yeah. And the, well, yeah, and the, exactly. Yeah, is no, that an are, actual Birkenstock no, or is it, that a different not, brand?
1: Which is so that's this brand, OmniYork New York, who's actually another fascinating case study. So this kid, I started on Instagram like last February. Um, and this kid DM'd me had like 400 followers. Yeah. He's like, yo, I made these like, uh, I don't know what they're right. They're not like knockoff Birkenstock, but they're also slides. They're very similar to They look to
2: exactly like the Birkenstock Boston clock. And he was like,
1: I'm going to launch these things they are going to do really well. And I'm like, sick. Like, I'll totally cop it when it comes out. I like, bought a pair, posted a pair. Now, fast forward, like 8,000 8, followers, huge booth at ComplexCon, just crushing it, all these colorways. And so that's more of like, there's a there's something like around like the birkenstock there's like a form factor that is familiar and like where okay birkenstock doesn't own the concept of a slide but they do have like some of these specific things about it that you could say are a trademark or not And if you kind of work around that form factor you can move into it but yeah he took something i mean there's all other like there's also shoes in popular culture that have the skeleton toes like you're you're just combining all these elements it's like the virgil abloh like change it by x percent three percent yeah yeah and and it's just like a lot of these are now are like you know Change it 50%, whatever, but like that's the culture we're in now. How do you find something familiar? A right. brand name, a visual symbol, an association.
0: Yeah. I mean, isn't that what um, John Gre- how do you say his last name? Geiger. Geiger. Yeah. Isn't that what he did with the Air Forces? Then he got in trouble with it. He got in trouble
1: with it. And it's like, well, a lot of these people, a lot of shoe companies start off with like just a version of a dunk. Um, right. Yeah. Right. And, and it's just a question of like how serious does Nike take it or not? But what I yeah. like about his stuff in particular is like, then when he came out with his own silhouettes, like they were very hot. Like, um, uh, I have something here with me on, on this trip, like the 002s, like completely unique, completely the out blue there. Ones? Yeah, the blue, blue ones, ones. Yeah. And uh, and it's like, there's people that, you know, you want to get some end of what the consumer wants or what you know, or you want to put your spin on a classic and you, and like, what where's the line in the 3% world. But then there's, there's people that need to do that to succeed. And then there's people that are doing that because it's a vehicle and then like can still go crush it with their own original ideas. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. When
0: you're thinking about an ordinary product and what I mean by ordinary is something as simple as like a phone case. If you're going to take something ordinary like that, how would you then turn it into a luxury product the one that i'm thinking about to to give context is like last crumb yeah. they took chocolate chip cookies and turned it into a box a dozen uh, a dozen cookies for $140 how would you if you're starting that brand today be able to like Execute that checklist, that playbook to turn something into a yeah. So
1: it's I mean, really, you get materials and presentation is really it. And so like materials is a is a huge one, right? Like if you're like, hey, I want to make a luxury iPhone case. How do I separate that from a current iPhone case? It's like we have the same leather like Bottega uses on their bags, or it's palladium corners, whatever it is. Like you can immediately upgrade with with materials, and materials are built for you to be able to upcharge on them, right? Like silver is X amount an ounce, but we really buy products at it X amount markup, whatever. And so materials is a great way to elevate almost anything. Like if you want to make a, I want to charge. $80 for a t-shirt versus $40, it's like it has a vintage wash, it's 320 GSM, and it's from this like this rare cotton that we got from this textile factory, whatever. So materials is one, and that goes same thing for cookies. Like they're using like the best stuff, the best taste, you know, super thick quality, all organic, whatever. Yeah. And then the presentation, you know, and there's it has two factors to it. Like one is the storytelling behind it. Yeah. A lot of people who try to make luxury or quality stuff don't tell the story of why it's luxury or quality. And in the internet age, if you're not explaining why it's higher quality, people aren't gonna f- figure it out, right? Right. And then the second is the presentation of it, which I mean, there's even another breakdown of that of, like, both, like, the box and the actual experience itself of, like, how am I engaging in it? And then um, even someone like Crumble, where it's, like, they would release their lineup, and it would be an event, and people would be excited about it. And, like, all of those, I think, are, like, the core of how do I take something normal? I upgrade its materials, I tell its story, I make sure it has an amazing experience when I engage with it, and I actually present that idea in a unique way.
0: Have you actually, like, gone down the stats of Last Crumb? No. Of you? Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, I had a last crumb at a sponsor, at like an influencer dinner the other week. <laughs> <No> <laughs> <Yeah. way. laughs> That's the only yeah, I haven't gotten on stats. <laughs> so it's crazy. Every drop has sold out in less than 30 seconds. They're in their first three months. They did a million in revenue. And that's with zero marketing budget. They've grown to now uh, an eight-figure brand with a wait list of 225,000 fucking What's the people. wait list for? I can't get the cookies yeah. Yeah, right now? Yeah, you can't get the cookies. Really? And so it's 12, yeah. It's, they only have so many damn. mixers in yeah. the kitchen yeah. location. Yeah, but the, to be what, fair, what what kind of chocolate Cookie
1: smacks, not going to lie. Really? And people were There's roaming really, around. They were roaming around this dinner. This is like a D2C brand influencer dinner. People were roaming around. Everyone had one cookie, trying to find like who had left the cookie who, had, who? I was like, damn, cookies? this is, yeah. That's for them.
0: The crazy part, like listening to the founder talk about it is they aim to to uh, position it as a luxury status symbol. And she was talking about that. She's like, I looked at fashion for inspo for my cookie brand. Mm -hmm. She's like, there's something about the things that make a product unattainable that then you can charge crazy high prices. So going back to what Oren said, the packaging on it is like very sleek, it's black. And then each, uh, each cookie, has its own label. So like someone will be like uh Netflix and and Cinnamon yeah, or something it's like that. Like right? Like, like, like a it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a pun kind of yeah, it's it's a pun. And then it also has a story on the back Classic end of the cookie. Pun luxury pun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has a, a story on the back of the cookie. The part that I thought uh, was wait, super what do you mean on the back of the cookie. Like, so on, like, like yeah. the undercarriage there of the cookie. Is, no I think no it, it comes yeah. like within oh, a little oh, package. No, he was like so, damn you're engraving cookies laser printing. Each each cookie, it's like a pretty good sized cookie. Yeah. Comes in like a little package. Yeah. And then it has a story on the back end of it. The part that I thought was super interesting—that's like total marketing play. It comes with a playbook essentially. That's like this is how to have the best taste testing experience. Mm,
2: like a roadmap of which cookie to have first. Yeah. And, and like, like and, and with with then what? go
0: microwave it for 15 seconds. There's like this whole play that they give that they essentially give you a creative brief, creative brief where like now you go make a UGC piece of content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's genius. fucking genius. What
1: yeah, also they're experiencing it like. We- there's always an opportunity in positioning anything that doesn't have a luxury option for a luxury option, especially if it becomes an activity. And what I love about the cookie in particular is it's an activity you could do with your wife or your girlfriend or your family. Yeah. But then also like as a it's a it's a signaler and a thing when you have a group over, It'd be like yeah. oh 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 they got they got last they crumb. got last yeah. <laughs> yeah That was a classic. You might as well have a G wagon parked up front.
2: Like same uh,
1: thing. And I think that that's positioning and everything. Like, I mean, look, we deal with that in in California. There's the strawberries and shit. I forget what the name of the brand is. They're like $14, you know, like single strawberries. And like, and people will have them at the, you're like, oh, it's incredible. $14 single strawberry? Yeah. yeah. And and they're incredible. And it's an experience and you have one. And it's like, there's like a lot of these things that exist. Yeah. Dude.
2: Whoa. Um, yeah, Austin. That's crazy. <laughs> we, got got you guys get way. like a two dollar banana. Did. I got. This yeah, is part of go. like
0: why I want to live in other cities for like parts of the year, dude. I'm. Because I want about, to experience the yeah. things that like make LA Tulsa. or Santa <laughs> <Yeah>. Monica <Marca's laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, unique, and yeah. then New York City unique. Because there's shit like that yeah. that he's talking about that's never gonna find its way to Austin, or if it does, it's gonna be twenty, thirty years no. until there's that was that was in a different language. Like even our Soho house sucks.
2: Uh, it's, it's mid. It's mid. It's mid. Yeah. Yeah. It's it doesn't suck. Also, houses are. Kind of it. Yeah. Part yeah. of the game. So did you not alone Mass in, the, in the city here being out there. You know? yeah. right. Besides yeah. the little house. Yeah. Um, so when we were talking about that, I, the product category that I think would be really cool is like, you know, Truff did this with sauce. Yeah. And there's gotta be an opportunity to do what Truff did with Buffalo sauce with just so many yeah. other different sauces. Like, Mayo, or I don't know. I mean, yeah. it just I mean, they're now doing it across all these categories. and they've oh, got they have got to keep expanding, the, the end, I guess? Yeah, yeah, they do. That's they, what the private equity money is They just got acquired, right? By yeah, not they not just by got scam, investment by
1: Sky, which is her PE firm. So, yeah. yeah, it's a PE, PE firm.
2: Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they they completely did this for sauce, where like, I, th- I don't think there's been a single time where I've like whipped out the trough and someone has been like, oh, it's kind of expensive sauce, you know? It is. I think about it when I
1: buy where I'm like, am I really, do I really care that much? And then I
2: am, but you'll, yeah, it's, and, but it's good. And the it's, quality is there tastes to back great. it up. It tastes great. It tastes distinct, too. Yeah. It, it tastes much different than Frank's Red Hot or like the average Buffalo Sauce. So, But
1: any of these categories, and now I think you'll see like you'll get these entrants. Like right now, we see a lot of single entrants into, oh, we're going to like kind of make this category of luxury. And then it's like, it's, yeah, it's going to, there. you'll now see that shelf explode. Like a lot of retail is based on good, better, best, mm-hmm. where it's like, cool, we have your good is your entry level, cheap, buy it. Maybe it's a white label thing, you know, better is your your brand that's kind of competing more on price. And then best, and then they've created this like, okay, now there's either this is the best category or it's even above it. And then you, you basically see how many brands you have existing in each based on the quality of the retailer. Yeah.
0: I've been doing a ton of research on and, and just doing deep dives, not to the extent of Oren, but on luxury brands, just because I want to give media. How do you give media like a luxury feel? Yeah, like airmail. you yes. seen airmail? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Airmail? Airmail. airmail. Yes. Luxury um, Luxury media property. Okay. Like I want to figure out how to do that for, for a marketing exam. And so... Been studying it. I found like there's really like a five part checklist. So the first one is how do you have la- limited availability? Mm-hmm. This goes back to Last Crumb and how they, they sell a box of cookies for $140 and it sells out 30 seconds. Once it's done, it's done. You're not getting that box. Right. The second is invite only. Um, so I think that's what, why Clubhouse works so well. It created so much FOMO because it was invite only for months until you got a referral from somebody. Like that drove a fuck ton of FOMO. The third was custom experiences. How are you then creating these custom experiences for the people that are, are wrapped into your brand, that are partaking with your brand? The fourth is high price point. Um, this, I mean, this one's obvious. The brands that come to mind here are like a Flamingo estate. How you take a household name, add premium pricing. Then the last that I thought was very interesting, which is, goes back to what you were referring to is brand heritage. Like, How do you tell this story about around an ample amount of time that then takes you from something that's high end to luxury? So again, I'm, I'm adding Sam into this mix, but like, have you seen Hampton, Hampton founders? Yeah. Like they've done a great job of, there's the idea of you can have a paid Slack community. I'm going to have the best founders in it. We're going to charge $20 a month. It's going to be fucking elite. Anyone
2: can get in. Anybody can,
0: can come in or get in. Then Hampton was like, oh, okay, we're going to do the complete opposite. You're going to have to apply. We're probably going to say no to you and reject your application Okay, but if you do get in, it's now eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And when you do get in, we are gonna put on custom experiences all the fucking time for you. We're gonna take you on. they go like sailing, scuba diving. They go on like all these sorts of cool right. retreats and shit together. The price point's very high. The brand heritage part, I think, is the part that they're nailing now. like they've really labeled or talked about they're trying to develop this story about, hey, when i was when I was building the hustle, when I was building X, you know, we didn't have this group of founders to to go piggyback off of. But they've nailed it, and like th- this, to me, this is like the such a good checklist that they've gone down. And I think they're already like an eight-figure brand in the last year, ten months, like year. Yeah. And they probably already fall into that category. Do you, is there anything that you would add to that checklist? No, I think I think all of it ties into what you said, and I, I do have some examples
1: I think are worth calling out because um, I think in media especially, there's some people doing it, but it hasn't been done a lot. And then you can kind of do it for any brand because like you can achieve those things in a few ways. So I don't think it's necessarily something I would add. Um, like besides maybe like the idea of like design, like you can just by virtue of like how incredibly looking or functional something is that you may be able to achieve that luxury. Yeah. But uh, you know, when you talk about the exclusivity, there's an email list called opulent tips. And it's by this woman, Rachel, who I think works for Harper's Bazaar. And it's a, you can only access it if she invites you. And it is a who's who on like of a certain New York scene plus like a fashion scene. And like that very much was the like the launch of the newsletter, maintained that way for a while. It was like a whole trope in that world of Twitter of like, how do I get access to opulent tips? Right. And when it would come out, people would flex that they got it because not it everyone this? can have it.
2: Well, when you, when you Google search, it's not there.
1: And then airmail is another interesting one where how do you start a prestige like online publication, uh, like a digital newsletter or something when there's, there's so many out there. And that was because of the heritage, to, to your point. And because it was uh, Graydon uh, who founded it is the, I believe, the former editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair when he mm. did start it. And so like there, and I had someone else um, like in partnership, like a woman who was uh, from the New York Times, something like that. And they, uh, and so it's like, all right, by bringing this pedigree to it, we can immediately begin to associate it with, with that. And I think... There's so many little ways with which you can achieve all of the items that you broke down and that those are all applicable to almost anything you start, but you really have to lean into those items. Like you can't halfway luxury, Mm -hmm. right? Like you have to be truly like in it the whole time. Any amount of your experience that doesn't perceive that is going to
2: degrade it down. And and it almost seems like they're, they're kind of an equation that play together right? Because if you're deficient in some of it, you might have to make up for it in other areas. Yeah. So maybe your materials have Boy. to be so standout.
1: And you get so leeway you as you go along. Like I feel like Tiffany's is in a spiral right now. Like these collabs are atrocious, right? Yeah, and, mean, and like stuff. they have, you have Tiffany NFTs, you have Pokemon, Daniel Arsham, Blankley, like it's just not It's trying to, and I understand why they're trying. They need to figure some new things out and I get it. And they also have leeway because guess what? If they just go back to classic Tiffany stuff next year, we'll just forget that era ever happened and maybe talk about it in a few years. And it'll be back to the heritage because they have such a long history. But if you were a newer brand, if you saw Flamingo Estate doing NFTs, Daniel Arsham, Pokemon collab, you'd be like, okay, they're washed because it's happened Mm -hmm. so fast.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think another, like the brand heritage piece, because we've talked about a few brands today, Flamingo State. Another one that I think kind of skipped this brand heritage element might be Lilabo. I mean, yeah. so they were only founded in 2006. I didn't really realize that. I, I would have totally told you that they were built in 1910s France or something. Yeah. And...
1: yeah, you know, it's just like Ace of Spades, Champagne, a few of these others where you're like, okay, if the aesthetic nailed, is the quality nailed? Like, you don't yeah. have to have every one of these if right. you're nailing all the other ones and yeah. you're really going for it. Le is a good example of like the product... Like, you know, Santal, so they have ones that have hit enough that, like, it can be on that legendary scale and the execution of everything else to a certain standard.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, another one that I, I was kind of looking up while we were talking about this topic is uh, Canada Goose. Yeah. So, Canada Goose is a wild, wild company. So, they were founded in 1957 as kind of just a family parka manufacturer. Like, they had no intentions of ever being a big business the dad of the current CEO actually told him, do not get into this business, go do something normal. Uh, They're a good example. And like Arc'teryx is another
1: one in a slightly different way of like, if you have quality, yeah. people who are influential we'll or successful or rich buy quality. And you have that over X amount of time in our current world. And then all of a sudden, when in the internet era, those logos get broadcasted absolutely constantly. And right. then you are, have the ability to scale the way you never thought about. Like the Arc'teryx one was funny to me because I, I used to work in the, um, in the outdoors industry and like it was a brand very favored by like former marines mm-hmm. and or guys who were like really going into alpine hiking very technical and then the fa- and then when you see it like what happened to it in like streetwear i'm like it's such a rapid like solomon was the same way like i learned about solomon from and there's a little bit different cuz but like it was like what the Marines would, if they could choose their own shoes when they went into combat, would be like, yeah, I'm gonna wear that, right? Right. And so, Mm -hmm. and the but the reason that those are able to catch on when they do isn't purely aesthetic, is because of the association of that brand with quality from an exclusive community. From a trusted source too. And there's probably dozens of brands out there with have that level of equity that haven't, you know, been able to make that same jump out. Like one I was thinking about a lot was there's a brand, even brands when we were younger, like uh, Massimo. was like a brand where like they disappeared, right? They're only in Australia. No one like has it around it, but they were just as big as like Stussy at one point and you just kind of lost it. But just the fact that IP exists is Something you can pull back in, like the fact Abercrombie has its revitalization, the fact we'll never stop hearing about Victoria's Secret, no matter how bad they do, it's right. just purely that level of brand
2: awareness, right? Yeah, so so Canada Goose started as tactical gear for snow patrol units in Perfect. northern oh Ontario, God. as yeah. they should.
0: This goes back to our land and expand, right? Segmented exactly, in the like in they
1: the land mounties, <laughs> yeah. For yeah. Expand. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 luxury saddles, <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly.
2: And I think there's something to what you just mentioned about that, that trust factor in um, some sort of source of authority, right? So, you know, Arcteryx being preferred by Marines or this being the desired gear for people that are in the harshest terrain, most cold environments in the entire world. You know,
1: everything is bought based by people looking at other people and saying, oh, they have that, I want that. Right. It's very rarely an independent choice. And so the more of that that already exists, the easier
2: it is to then expand what you have. Right, and I, I went to New York like two years ago and when I was in Soho, just kind of bopping around, no intentions of buying anything but uh, all I could notice was every rich foreigner had Canada goose on yeah. and I was just blown away. I looked it up. Those jackets were all $1,700. I'm just like, holy shit, like what is going on here? I had but, a similar moment in Tokyo a while back. I was like, everyone was in
0: Montclair. Yeah. And I was
2: just like, you're just like, it's just a way of life. And you're like, yeah. that's an expensive ass jacket. You yeah, know, that's yeah. the flex, right? Like you don't need to flex anything else.
0: So. What are some of the most like slept on parts about the experience that make a brand luxury? Yeah, just that caring
1: so much about every aspect of it from like someone really um like people really caring about what the packaging looks like or what the return policy is but like uh, something i do think is underrated is is the consultative aspect of luxury like mm. if you're really buying from louis vuitton you're not buying from the website you have a louis vuitton rep like right. we have a louis vuitton rep every time i talk down on louis vuitton i get like a take me like brother like am i gonna be able, like you know like it, there's a whole some level of like dynamic of that and same thing with like even like uh like esop's another good one where you can go have a consultation on the esop website about how, like what you do with your skincare. Like mm. that's an offering that they have as a luxury brand that not many people may use or take mm. advantage of, but like they want to get that one-to-one level. And so I do think that there is this, this level of care across everything and then that idea of service. Like, hey, like my my Remova broke, but because I'm in London, they're gonna be like, oh well, please take this one. We're gonna take care of that for you. Like right. that's the level that I think a lot of people miss because that's expensive and it takes time and it you're doing that because of your lifetime customer value, not because of the sale you're making today. Mm.
2: There's something there's something really interesting there too, because in this new sort of chatbot SaaS era that we're kind of heading towards, it seems like D2C especially wants to provide that bespoke experience to a lot of customers, even if you're not a luxury brand. Yeah. Like the consultative, we, this is exactly what you should get from us. But they're
1: trying to do it without that personalized touch. Really exactly. all that's trying to eliminate like what used to happen at retail, Right, used to happen with your, you know, and I think one thing is, this actually ties to something I recommend to a lot of D2C brands, because I get a lot of questions about people who are stuck in the like, hey, we're doing 100K a month kind of range, but like we don't know where to go from there. Right. Uh, and one of the big ones I was like, have you ever like Googled your entire customer list? Like, do you know who all your customers are? And like, have you like an exercise we do at a clothing brand I work with is we Google everybody. And we found that like 30% of them are influencers because if that's the, the people who buy that are going to go to a specific type of festival to do a specific type of thing. And when you start to realize that, and then also hit them, like if they post it or if they're or hit them up, anyone that all of your top 20% customers, anyone, or anyone that spends a thousand dollars plus, whatever it is, like give them, don't like auto email them from Clavio like email them and be like, yo, I'm the founder. Thank you so much. Like you're one of our top 1% customers. Like, can I send you a Christmas gift this year? Like there's so much of that that we all feel like D2C needs to be this automated thing. Oh, we should use a chat bot versus a real human. Oh, we should like, well, the customers just come in. We don't have to have that level of relationship. Like now those relationships will last you forever. Forever. If you find, take that top 10% of your customers if you're doing a hundred grand a month and you say, I'm going to hit all those people up personal note learn who they are establish a number relationship and then I'm going to give them early access to everything like hey here's the collection you want me to hold anything for you like next time we drop uh, yeah of course I'm sending you a like f- uh, the christmas card like that is the stuff that I think is you can learn from luxury that people aren't acting on mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to differentiate in any crowded D2C
2: space yeah 100% you know that's actually how Alex and I met he
1: called email dude is one of the best readers of Marketing Examined. So he, <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he,
2: he sure. had a uh, paid community, a paid Slack community, and I signed up for it. And you looked at my uh, email and he yeah. saw Grind Basketball was on there. And he was like, yo, Grind Basketball is dope. I'm a huge basketball fan. We should connect.
0: So you, were you doing that to everybody or were you like, yo, I love Grind Basketball? I, I did it to, for the paid community, yes, I did yeah. it to everybody damn but for brian no 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 no, no, <laughs> you're no. you're not, no, not no, eating no. stuff like it <laughs> happens. no i'm saying that i went I through like the list yeah. to see who everybody that was in there yeah. but with brian specifically we wrote about grind basketball when i was at the hustle yeah and so like i i, I was aware of the product and then i hit brian up because i was on the thing if, if i have this one conversation and again this is before yeah. we're boys now yeah to take it for what <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. before <laughs> it was like if i have one conversation with them we're going to establish this relationship that he's probably going to stay around the Slack community for for fucking ever.
2: 100%. I mean, it it definitely, like, Alex had a big Twitter following at the time. Like, it makes them, it makes you feel very, uh, like, personal, right? Where, you know, even if you had done it for every single person in that Slack community, they would immediately become a true fan. And talk about you, rave about you, be like, this guy's so authentic. You know, he actually cares about his audience. Dude, so go ahead. Good. So
0: <laughs> what? One of the things that I was like. Bro, Just deferring to bro. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. One thing <laughs> that I, we've been doing more on Marketing examine is like, at, uh, within the outro, we'll say something along the lines of, reply to the email with your with your start with your startup or your product, and our team will literally shoot you advice on how we'd grow it. And dude, one the amount of response I got, we got hundreds of responses. It took me four or five weeks to like go through all of them, but if you look at the responses, every response is a fuck ton of research and like I mean, paragraph after paragraph of me giving giving them uh just game. The thing that I went and went and looked at is like they've opened every email since those yeah, people because sure. I put them in a list of like okay, these are the people that I've responded to, these are the people I've interacted with. All of those people have responded to or not responded, but they've opened every single email since yeah. that interaction. But yeah. now oren has got me thinking about like, well, how else can we personalize our experience? Like should the people that have a, a 100% open rate, should they get a Christmas card this year? For sure. Like, should they yeah. get something from me? Well, like, surprise and delight. Get them some kind of, last of the other of It's it. a lot. Yeah. You know Get what them I'm saying? some like, crumble.
2: Get them some crumble. You can't do crumb, uh, last crumb. Oh, well, yeah. We
1: work with a brand partner. Oh, you find whatever. Browns, you do like, a little
2: I'm
0: brand scroll. merch item or whatever
2: it yeah, is. That's a group of 20,000 people. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not going yeah. bankrupt for... I'm
0: sure you can find the corporate sponsor.
2: yeah. Whoever's trying
1: to get their cookie brand out there, Alex is really trying to... Yeah, it's February. It's December 5th. He really has to make some shit happen yeah, here bro, in the next yeah, like 10 yeah. days. How did you just uh, say
0: February? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> lost, I'm lost in We're still in 2023.
1: Time is fast. Yeah, but I, but I do think that element of um, surprising people, right, of being like, hey, oh, I'm, I, I get this thing I wasn't expecting or here's this, or the free gift or whatever it is, or, like some level of care and intention. Like I even think about like, you know, especially in email now, because like everyone has an email list. Everyone's email Everybody, lists are big. Dude. People are subscribed to a bunch of them. Like how do you stand out from that? And like there's, Still that element of like, all right, well, what extra could I do? Can I yeah. like? I'm thinking about this now. We're having the conversation. I'm like, shit, like I know I was actually just talking with uh, Clayton, who I run my email list with the uh, today, because we were trying to make a list of all the people that were on it. It's so, like, oh we got Nike and Adidas and LVMH and Goldman Sachs and blah blah blah. And then I'm thinking now, I'm like, shit, we made that list. to know all the brands that are on it. And I'm like, I haven't emailed any of those people. Like we should be emailing all those people, yeah. you know, and yeah. like and that level of care is I think what will differentiate this next gen of email, not everyone has a newsletter, is like, all right, like it's like your close friends, you know, For it's sure. like, all right who's the close friends on email? Like, and did you want to get that subsection and be like, you yeah, know, that's interesting. It's
2: a uh, real network too, right? Like those people get an email from you and they're going to yeah. read it, respond be like, oh shit, like Oren actually knows who I am. Well, like, I think communication is going to that level.
1: It's going to group chats basically. Like, and I just launched an IG broadcast channel today and like, uh, what is that? So it's basically you send a, whenever I send a post into the broadcast channel, which can be text or images or a video, it sends it to your DMs and, and really? you can't respond. Uh, you well, Only select people it.
0: can respond. Yeah, like you oh. would have to basically be like Brian can respond to this, and then you could. Be somebody but but that you can that basically sick. just
1: emoji it, and you can reply or whatever. But you can't yeah. respond in the chat yeah. unless you're an admin or whatever. And the uh, but like it's basically this this group chat level messaging, which you know, which I think is a really to the point of like your close friends, and now you can post video content just to your close friends on Instagram, which is also right. interesting. Uh, and I've seen, I'm now on some close friends list where I'm like, oh, you've maxed out the list, which is kind of what I did on Twitter, where it's like, yeah. hey, you want in? I'll show you all this exclusive, like, let me know and I'll add you to it and we max out the number. But like, that's a marketing tool, right? Um, but I think moving to group chats, because that's, that's the fucking preferred format, at least how we communicate now. 100%. It's like, we're DMing shit to each other, but now like, I DM the same thing. Whenever I find an idea, I'm DMing it to like seven people or like three group chats and two homies because like, you've now have so many relationships, you yeah. do that. And I think that that's going to be that next communication layer. And you can think about that in your email, in your brand broadcast channels,
0: like in your SMS, like all of that could exist that way. Mm. I've, I've been on this kick lately of, and it's been stuck in my mind of everybody is building an email list. Everybody's in not inflating, but like obsessed with that number of 100,000 subs, 250,000 subs. Yeah, no one is thought. obsessing over yeah. how do you convert subs into
2: fans, which is yeah. what you're talking about. It was just like, I, that's exactly what I thought. As soon as you it's said difficult, that, like, man. anyone that signs up for your broadcast channel is someone who will buy your course or 100%. buy your info product. Or and it like, changes the it dynamic
0: is. between from a follower to a fan. Like I think I already, yeah. s- you, you invited me to the channel. Yeah. No. Well, everyone gets a notification automatically. <laughs> <But, laughs> no, so sorry. That's, that's, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I don't know.
1: I don't yeah. know how. I it, it to be an admin. Yeah, we get yeah, the yeah, notification yeah, about which so, is yeah. which is crazy I'm, I'm that yeah. IG giving you the ability to send every. I sent two hundred fifty-seven thousand people a notification this morning. Yeah. which is crazy. That's wild. Nuts. That's wild.
0: which is crazy. But I did see. I think there's like a few thousand people in there yeah. already. That to me is like that is a level right there where he can now bridge followers into fans. Yeah. he could go in there, share the exclusive content. The one thing I'm struggling with is like. Because it's one way, do you think you're going to be super active in there? Because that is like... Well, that's what I was debating. Weird, and I was right? talking to Ashwin about it, who has one. So
1: two of my friends have live ones already. Jordan Rogers, who does like a sports marketing one. His is great. Because he mm. just like, he knows you're falling in for sports marketing. And he's just like, here's random sports marketing thoughts. He posts a lot. But he's always just like, here's my angle on this. And it's like something he may not make a full video on. And then Ashwin, who is very similar content to me, who posts a little less. And I was like, cool. Do I want to do this like 2x a week, high value? Or do I want it to just be like group chat level? Like, let me just fire and let people see like what's going on right, in my your head all day. Your crazy. Yeah, yeah we, we, well, I mean, and you were like on light, like, because <laughs> you, if I was in Colin, are, like light group chatters, like I've got like some of the designer group chats which people that are just like firing is like, we're like fucking,
0: you know, zipping. Because like. How much time do you spend I, on the internet? Well, I just. I or you, do where you do you go to like internet? consume all. It's just
1: like all the things you see, like I'm now in a flywheel, right? Where people. Right. I, oh, that's I'm, I'm the person on Instagram. Like I, there's, I have a, a whole subsection of fans, a couple hundred people who I'm just a person that they have in their life they feel they can just send cool shit to. Mm. Which to me is amazing. I'll heart it every time or whatever because I want to receive cool shit. Yeah. And then now I have all these group chats because I really actively set up group chats in my life. Or it's just like, yeah, it's me and it's three other designers from Hong Kong or wherever the guys I met doing X and Y. Oh, I think you get along. And so I just am getting this wheel of stuff. And then I'm in the same way. Like I'll see Twitter and carry a list on IG. Yeah. And I really care about it because I care about the database. And that's something we're working on for Hyper, which is my email list is like um, with Clayton is we're making like a database where it's yeah. like, campaigns, trends, tools, brands. It's like old school, like here's just a fucking parsable list of all that shit. Cause I feel like there's value in something like that. Um, but like, that's the most interesting part of the internet is having an encyclopedic look at all these things that you're interested in. Yeah.
2: I mean, they talk about like curating your information diet, right? And like the people, that, the people you surround yourself with are a huge component there too. I mean, it sounds like you well, run especially into now, a lot of, I
1: want to know, like I realized too, like especially to extend the longevity of your career, like yeah. as a 38 year old white dude, I'm removed from the culture like into a lot of extents. And I really, I've always really been interested in whenever I get someone who I deal with in a factory overseas, if I ever, whenever I get like the son or the daughter, which happens all the time, especially in these streetwear factories because they're the ones that told their mom to go make fucking baggy pants or whatever it was. Mm. And then you're like, oh, like <laughs> if you get it or like I see your profile picture and you're wearing certain shit, I'm like, yo, like, let's just have a WeChat. Like, and and then you get to see those perspectives, and that's been intimately valuable for for how I look at some of this. Because international, especially like even when like the designer working on a bunch of the stuff I'm doing for like my stuff currently is like a really nice young guy from Berlin that I mean, I was out there, and I was like, oh, like that international perspective is crucial. I
0: feel like, yeah. You, with what you're building with Clayton, you're trying to build—is it like a, an immense swipe file in many ways? Is that yeah. kind of what, you're I, what about? I way I look at it is? I feel like it used to be that you know your homepage on the internet was
1: Twitter, or, you know, or like. Some social media, now it's like social media is built in. I'm like, I feel like all of us have lost like the homepage of our Chrome. Like what happens if you open a new tab? Like I want to be that for yeah. anyone in design or branding. Yeah. And, but I don't want to like write articles. I don't want to do it. I want to purely be a database. It's purely curation. Yeah. If you want something new, yeah. you just want to like look at some shit. Like, or I, like basically like a yeah, very curated version of like Pinterest or whatever, but I see so much stuff and so does Clayton. Like we're both curators at heart and I have some of these, some friends, people I know online, guys like Enigma curation, a few of these people that like live archiving. And you're just like, that is something that like, people like that are unique. And we put so much stuff out. That I think that's a really interesting way to do it. And I think like curators and archivists are like this next generation of internet. There's yes. so much stuff out there now. they right. yeah. like, we always see email lists are already curated, but like that's one email. It's like, what is the master? What is everyone referencing? And yeah. can you be that reference point for like a generation of people? That's interesting to me. Mm. Right.
2: And like the time, to, the time to being excited about the content you're looking at is super important as well with a lot of these search engines. Pinterest. Completely. You might parse through a ton of stuff when you look up baggy jeans and not find anything. Yeah. If you are the curator who delivers the five best baggy jeans for men, that's super valuable to anyone that's actually. Well, When I
1: feel about like Pinterest and like I use Pinterest a ton, I use Arena a ton and and uh but the mood board generation is like almost complete because like the mood board doesn't sell it all anymore it needs to be a complete frame of references it's not just about the images that are on the board anymore it's now about the factories that can actually get you the textiles or the images that are on the board and the tools that we're gonna use to communicate that and the campaign ideas to connect that like it's more developed and i think that's where like there's no tools for that yet and at least when i'm thinking about like how do you be a home base for that but like i'm gonna do a video on this at some point but like the mood board era is no longer like enough like you have to these really tactical mood
2: board applications. Otherwise, you're just derivative. Could you see yourself building a high-end Pietra or like kind of software like that? No, I think uh,
1: I really like creating physical things. Uh That's the only reason like I I would think like that. But I think I would like to create a massive open source database. Like I look at something like would I create something like Virgil's free game but like super expanded and it links a ton to what's on Pietra and what's on some of these other solutions and direct to X yeah, and like, like our yes. manufacturers but I do just believe in the giving everything away like the hermosi level it should make you uncomfortable how much you're giving away like I'm working on a bunch of I'm working on a brand and a uh, and a bunch of the stuff in that like I keep having this conversation with myself like should I make it just a completely open source brand uh-huh. like everything you want and you want the tech pack fucking run with it you want the factory go ahead you yeah. want like here's every single thing like you can buy into it or you can just buy into all of the ideas and resources from it, and that's fine too. Because at the end of the day, do I care about the brand, or do I care and the money from it, or do I care about moving the culture? And the answer is probably moving the culture.
0: Mm. So that's so badass. Have you seen Eye Candy? Eye Candy. Yeah,
1: that's with the video loops. Yeah, is that? I had a great you're... video on that, but yeah, exactly. Like like okay. that, except wide ranging. Like I would I want that to be a component. Where like that's all shot types. Eye Candy Six. So basically, if you don't know about Eye Candy, a super amazing site where it's basically all these different cinematic techniques. And like a bunch of examples of them. And you can just click the video. And like, we use it all the time for when we're like trying to find the angle of a shot. I'm sure you do the same thing. And I'm just thinking of that being like, okay, that much like a mood board is one thing in its context. And like, whereas if you combine that with an archive of storytelling, with an archive of imagery, all of a sudden you have like a holistic view. That's what I'm looking at. I've been thinking about
0: how can I create like eye candy for marketing exam. And then if you look at all the skills underneath growth marketing, right? If it's copywriting, email, campaigns, ads social content, whatever you could make the eye candy for marketing for growth marketing where it's filtered at the top like this, and it is just pure curation of like nothing but inspo from the top shit in the world from it's, across marketing. It's, it's, and it's not a hard thing to do. You could probably hire a VA like scrape a bunch of shit on top yeah. of like shit that you constantly curate. But I feel like you could hire a VA and and and, it, and it's
1: about the ability to draw attention to that resource and have that resource be like core in that uh, yeah. like and I can is great because there's nothing else quite like that. No. And I guarantee like Almost every in the know videographer is like
2: kind of got that on the phone now. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it There's just 200K in my video about that one, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> banger after banger. Well, dude, Oren, that was amazing, bro.
0: I did. Yeah. That was a pretty uh, impactful. I think it was 45 minutes. That was a pretty wild 45 minutes. That's what we go minutes. for here. We're, that we're was, trying to get right to the bone. No, we
2: need like most people like speed it up to like 1.5. I feel like for these Oren pods, you need to challenge. go to like yeah. 0.8. Yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> you know got to slow this. When we did Builder's Build, it was a challenge.
1: Could you try to listen to it
2: on 1.5? Like, no. Yeah. Not
1: possible. We didn't even get to get
0: into any of the, the, uh, brand versus product. Yeah, we'll brand or product. I'll
1: hit it on, the, on the next run. Yeah. 100%. You'll be here in January.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Dope. All right, guys. Appreciate you tuning in another episode. Oren, um, tell them where, the, where you're at, what you're yeah. building, all the shit, what email list they can get yeah, on, where your our resource world, is going to be.
1: Hyperstudios.us. And, uh, and that's
0: that's where we're at. You
1: know? Nice. Go buy a gel blaster this holiday season. You yeah. Know? I need to get one. You <laughs> yeah, got to bring, yeah. some, bring some over model. here. Yeah. 100%. Can you bring yeah. some Thursday? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: For sure. I will remind you
1: guys. I do. Yeah, remind $100. me, to text me on that and we'll bring some Thursday. 100%. That adds a whole other dynamic to a meetup, but yeah. Yeah,
0: just fucking <laughs> chill. <laughs> Plug yourself.
2: Yeah, uh, follow me on IG, Brian underscore Bloom and on Twitter, Brian underscore Bloom one. Um, <laughs> yeah, working on some cool stuff and then the goat himself, Alex Garcia.
0: Underscore ATX. <laughs> That's all I had to add. <laughs> all right, so here's the truth. The, the way to get some free game is to do a few things. Like, subscribe, you know, all the obvious things. And if you drop a comment, it's only going to help you out because if you do drop a comment, that is where we take the brands and from the people that are dropping comments and we put it into the pod, we plug it in and we talk about how to grow that, that brand, that service or that product. So that is our free game segment. That is something that we're going to be doing on a weekly basis, but you got to like, subscribe and comment. And if you leave us a five-star review, we're definitely going to include you because we need that shit right now. So appreciate you. That's it.